and welcome into the Facts Not Feelings podcast, powered by BZ Consultants Group, with your host, Brooke Furness. Each week, I sit down with experts in the respected fields as we discuss how we can move this wonderful automotive industry forward by differentiating facts from feelings. Our conversation explore how my guests got to where they are today and how they achieve success. All right, let's jump in. Welcome back into Fats Not Feelings. I am your host, Brooke Furness, and I am here today with Gino Ciproni. And today you have a front row to the evolving world of dealer marketing. And we are sitting down with the man, the myth, the legend, and the one who's at the helm of transformative tide, Gino Ciproni, Chief Revenue Officer of Dealer E-Process. And in our conversation today, Gino will unveil the omnipresent giants in our digital lives, Amazon, and Google, not as mere shopping and search platforms, but as powerful advertising tools that are shaping customer behaviors and how the magic of personalization is shaping the customer shopping journey and in ways that both are compelling and irresistible. So fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because we are going to be navigating the twists and turns and how to survive and thrive in dealer marketing in an era that, man, it is just mounting with challenges left and right, as we all know. So let's uncover how dealer e-process is harnessing the powers and pioneering a customer-centric revolution. So Gina, Gina, I am so excited to have you in today. So let's do, let's just jump, jump right into this. Let's just jump right in. And in an era where many companies claim that they might just be super experts and they are doing Amazon advertising. And maybe they are, maybe they are. They're kind of cool out of rocks right now. Yeah. Can you share some key pointers on how dealers can vet these claims and assure they're partnering with competent agencies? And what are some red flags that you can help our audience and how they can be aware of these? Yeah, so Brooke, first, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. Um, and that's a great opening question because um, in my my 10 years here at DEP, starting as a page search strategist, kind of knowing that world of, you know, all things automotive, digital marketing, you do run across here and there the kind of um, the folks that maybe you should be a little bit wary of or cognizant of when you're looking for a new marketing provider. And there certainly are some some red flags to be aware of. And in the world of Amazon advertising, which is so new to automotive, there, there, there are a lot of companies out there that are kind of misrepresenting what their capabilities are. And so what you want to make sure that you, you, um, you do when you look into a new marketing provider for Amazon advertising specifically is find out if they truly are an Amazon advertising partner. Now, there is a difference between partners like us and anybody off the street who can run Amazon ads. And that big difference is access to Amazon data. So. When, when I look at Amazon as an advertising platform for dealers, I've never seen a data source that's so powerful and so accurate and so really dialed in to find car buyers as what Amazon offers. And that's the real benefit of advertising on their platform. And through them, you can do streaming ads. And you, you know, this isn't just streaming on Amazon. This is streaming on Hulu, on, on Roku devices, every streaming platform. We do online video, we do display, but we do it all through Amazon's data. And if you're not an Amazon partner, if you're kind of the, you know, the little local agency, you can run those same campaigns on Amazon on those networks I just mentioned, 
but you cannot access any of their shopper data. You cannot access data like the Amazon garage data, which can tell you what vehicle physically sits in someone's garage. You cannot access their life event data, which would tell you if somebody's about to have a child or is getting married and all of those events tend to precede car purchases anyway. So you really want to know that. And and that's kind of the big the big red flag I would look for because I've run across dealers that have told me that, yeah, we're running Amazon now with so-and-so. And I'm like, and you should check into them because while you probably are showing ads on Amazon, you're showing them to everybody. You're doing no targeting. And so you're just spraying your money out of the marketplace with no real direction. And that's what you want to avoid because it's way too inefficient to go about it that way. So that's that's kind of a long answer to the, to the red flag question. Well, no, and it's, I wanted to start with that question in particular to kick off this entire conversation because you and I were talking beforehand just that there are a lot of agencies that claim they can do Amazon advertising and why they, I'll go back to like 2020. Everyone was like, oh, I can do OTT. Oh, I can do streaming TV. And I'm like, they're going to charge you for it. <laughs> Doesn't mean they can do it correctly or efficiently. And it's not that we're going quick to villainize it. Just like really do your homework beforehand to say, are you really doing Amazon advertising? Are you slapping the Amazon name on something and claiming that you're doing that? So do to your point, do they have access to Amazon data? Are they really doing that? Or are they just making up a dashboard and then, oh, I'm just going to copy and paste and throw an Amazon logo on it. Yeah. Is that really and, Amazon advertising? Yeah, yeah. And, and are they showing you that they're doing it? Like, can they show yes. you that data in action? Can they show you if that data is kind of users who are actually visiting your site, filling out leads and buying cars? You know, all of that is available if you're an Amazon partner through the Amazon marketing cloud. You can find all that out. So if they're not showing that to you, then... A, they're just not being transparent for whatever reason, or B, more likely they just don't have access to the data. Amen. Amen. So those that are listening right now, they might be thinking, well, do I even need Amazon? Is it that important? Like I'm doing Google, Brooke, you know, I don't need to do this. Like I've got my, I got my streaming, I got my OTT, I'm already doing Google, I'm doing my VLAs, PMAX, I'm good to go. So why is it so important for dealers to include Amazon advertising in their marketing mix? Yeah. So Amazon and Google are, are, they're very interesting for dealers right now. They're not competitors for the dealers. They're actually, I call it the best one-two punch in dealer marketing right now. So when you look at where, let's just take Google for starters. If you look at where we get the most bang for our buck on Google, it's targeting low funnel shoppers. It's targeting people who have gone through that research phase, you know, figured out the make model they want to buy. And now we're looking for that deal. Who's going to be the best dealership that they should do business with? That's really where Google's sweet spot is. We find that that person is about one to two weeks out from a purchase. If you really got your targeting dialed in. Amazon, on the other hand, is able to reach people who are a little bit further out from a purchase, maybe three to four weeks out from that purchase. And when I say it's the best one-two punch in marketing, it's because when you run that Amazon campaign, you're able to find people who might be on the fence, let's say, who might be thinking, do I want a Honda Pilot? Do I want a Toyota Highlander? You know, they're, they're not entirely sure, but they know they want something. That's when you can take an Amazon ad and target them very specifically using that data we just talked about to get them to say or to get them to, to realize that if you're the Toyota dealer, no, you need to buy that Highlander or if you're a Honda dealer, vice versa or whatever. And so that essentially ends up filling up the pond with more fish as your, your Google fishing rod can go on there and catch for you. And so that's why it's don't, you can't look at it as I should do Google or Amazon. It's you should do Google and Amazon. Yes. And I just wanted to pull that back one step further of the onion, the layer a little bit 
is that when you're doing all this, is the reason, one of these reasons is because the Amazon garage, and I know we've done shows on Amazon before, but I just want to, if you're new to the show and you're like, wait, what is this? This Amazon garage is like, and I'm sure we're going to get into this, but the whole point of being able to see all that data in one spot that we're just willingly giving it to, we personally, as a consumer, like, hey, Amazon, here's all my information. And I know we'll get into this a little more. Help ourselves. It's just like, hey, here's all my free information. And it's not not some mailer or some list that we're buying. The consumer has willingly provided that to Amazon. I want my packages to get to me. So I'm going to give you my real address. I'm going to move. So what is the first thing I do? Oh, my Amazon packages have to to get to me. So I'm going to update my address. I literally just shipped like free packages to my nieces and nephews. And so I want to make sure that address is correct so they don't miss out their birthday gifts. Like all of those little things, you want to make sure they're constantly updated. I guarantee that my my addresses inside of Amazon are more updated than my Christmas card list because I put it on my stomach. It's got to be accurate. So going off that, going off that a little bit more is that, can you explain how Amazon advertising can complement and enhance traditional Google advertising because you, yeah. you do have, like you said, that one-two punch. Yeah. And so it is, I said it earlier, it's it's the quality of their data is so strong. So Google data, I mean, a lot of it's built off of their predictor models, trying to understand who somebody is. Um, and and they're, they're, they're really good. And then ultimately their power though is somebody goes out to Google and says, I'm going to buy a Toyota who wants to sell it to me. That's That's the real true value of Google and it always has been. Amazon, it's just like you said, that person's not self-identifying as a car shopper, but through understanding their um, self-reported data, we know that they probably are because through the Amazon garage, we know like the year make model of vehicle that's in their, in their um, actually in their garage. So the way we get that data or the way Amazon gets that data is that if you were to go buy parts or accessories for your vehicle, which I've done, most people have done, and they do it to the tune of many billions of dollars every year for Amazon because they're the largest part seller online in the world. But before you can buy anything from Amazon for your car, you have to tell them the year make model of vehicle that you own. And then that's again, like you were talking about with the address, somebody's going to lie about the car that they're putting in there because if I'm a car parts to fit for my car, I'm not going to say I own something else just to quote, protect my data because it's not going to serve me parts that fit my car. So why would I do that? So we know it's 100% accurate and we know it's tied to that 100% accurate address. And then we start going deeper and deeper. And like you said, peeling the onion, well, let's look at it more deeply. When was the last time you bought parts for your car? When was the last time you put parts in your shopping cart but didn't check out? Or maybe I see that you own a 2018 Honda Civic and now you just opened a baby registry for yourself. Well, something tells me that Civic's not going to cut it for you anymore. So now you're going to be hitting with all sorts of different SUV commercials, but we're going to hit you with ones that are tied to um, things like loyalty. Are you, a, are you tagged as a loyalty shopper? Have you always owned Civics or Hondas? Or are you a Conquest shopper? Do you jump around brands a lot? Meaning I can now take you from a Honda to a Toyota or something else. All of those things are possible just by you telling us what you want. And the reason it complements Google so well is that Google doesn't really know most of that or they don't know it very specifically. And even still, in order for Google search to be effective, you have to wait for the person to go search. I think that's the big thing people don't realize. If you're going to sit back and wait for somebody to go search for the Honda you want to sell, you better hope that whoever's advertising to them higher up in the funnel is doing a good enough job for them to go search for a Honda. And this is the biggest eye-opening thing I've shown dealers lately. And I think you saw it last time we were together. When you go to Google, you can actually go see this if you have access to a Google account. If you go into the Google, what's called the Keyword Planner. 
and you go and you target your target area. Yeah, you, you know where I'm going with this. I love it. I love this, by the way. So pay yeah. attention, everyone. Pay attention right now. Pay attention now. So if you go into the Google Keyword Planner and you target your area, you can then go and type in keywords and Google will tell you how many average monthly searches exist for that keyword. And the perfect example was what we saw a couple of weeks ago. I targeted all of Chicagoland and I did a few example searches. The first example search I did was Toyota dealer near me. Now, Chicagoland, when you target that in Google, you're targeting about nine to 10 million people. Toyota dealer near me was searched just over 8,000 times per month, per month on average. And that's a small chunk of that 10 million. But in the world of automotive, that's a decent number. You can build a strong Google campaign off of that. But now when you start to think about inventory, you make model types of searches. And we know inventory, you know, age, time on lots starting to go up, creeping up here. Now let's go into Google and look at that. And when you look at terms like um, Chevy Equinox near me in Chicagoland, I'm sorry, Chevy Equinox for sale, that was um, coming into the tune of 50 searches per month on average in all of Chicagoland. 10 million people, 50 searches. And the reason is people don't know, you know, when they type in that for sale type of search, they, they don't really go to Google to type in model, you know, for sale. They're going to go elsewhere and do their research. So if you're not guiding their research, you're not using something like an Amazon to catch them higher up in the funnel, they're not going to filter down as much as you think they are to go search for the vehicles that you have to sell. So that's why when we look at Amazon, it fills the pipe for Google. And we have a, a really strong case study that we did not too long ago that showed a dealer that was running Google campaigns who then decided to run a two-week Amazon heavy up. During that two weeks, their Google data all improved. They got more clicks, they got more questions, cost per click went down, sales and revenue from Google campaigns went up. And we know that Amazon had a huge impact on that because after the two weeks, we turned Amazon off because it was just a two-week heavy up. All the Google data went back down to baseline. It's crazy, but that's how powerful this whole one-two punch is. It's not saying that one's better than the other. They serve different purposes, but the purpose they overall both serve is getting you more customers. And that's the big thing you got to keep in mind. Well, and you brought up a point here. I'm going to kind of go off scripture a little bit is you're talking about the searches, right? What people are typing in there. And we're also talking about Amazon. Well, last I checked is that Amazon also has Amazon Echo. So it, that does another part is that I was talking to Vasilios last week. He was on the show about a year ago. And we were talking about Amazon uh, Echo and speech and what we're talking about and voice search and everything like that, which then gets me thinking as well is that, well, what about that? And I, I know I'm throwing a curveball to you a little bit. But yeah. The same thing is that we're, that is a part of it as well. If you're not optimizing for that, well, that's something that is a very quick turnaround. As I know when you have a true Amazon partner is that, hey, I want to optimize for Amazon or for voice search. That's mm -hmm. a very quick turnaround for a true Amazon partner to, okay, well, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I don't know if you want to expand on that at all. Yeah. And I think voice search in general is something that we should think about because Let's, we'll start with the Amazon piece. On Amazon Echo, if I'm searching for a car, I might say something along the lines of Amazon, tell me what the best SUV is with, with the best gas mileage, you know, something like that. And it might tell me you should look at the Equinox or whatever, right? And a lot of times Amazon's getting that data through the, their own system. And one thing that Amazon.com has is OEM showrooms. So this is another data point that we use to target and market shoppers. I can go to Amazon and search for on Amazon.com a whole, like kind of like an OEM site for Chevy, for Buick, for uh, Volvo, VW, whoever, Hyundai. There's actually live dealer inventory on the Hyundai OEM showroom on amazon.com. 
So if you talk about going back to that voice search, if I'm doing those types of searches and Amazon's feeding me that data, that's where it's coming from. And so it's going to tie my Amazon profile because I'm logged into that speaker to searches like that to then tag on my profile when we're targeting in market shoppers. But voice search in general is something that we should think about. And we might, we might get to this down the line, but it's a broader context of like the evolution of marketing overall. Um, voice search right now, I think on Google takes accounts for at least a quarter of all searches are done via a voice search. Crazy. And this is where AI comes into play because there's no way and there's no way in hell us as reps are going to be able to type in every variation of a voice search that somebody could could say into Google or into Amazon or whatever. And so when you look at how do we effectively target those searches, AI can sift through the and kind of find the meaning of those searches and determine who is the best prospect for you and what ads to show them. So incorporating more AI into the search or the marketing overall is going to account for that um, transition over to more voice search. It, it is. And it's, he saw, like, I, at least in 2020, I saw this, I'm sure as you did, he saw this massive influx of voice search, voice search, voice search. And then it seemed, at least from my perspective, it seemed like a lot of people were like, oh yeah, okay, we did it. Now no one's searching. I'm like, no, people are still searching. You're just, you're just not optimizing for it. So I just, that got me thinking a little bit on that. So transitioning back to a little bit about customer behaviors is concerning the, the significant influence of Amazon on our consumer behavior. How does the advertising platform provide unique opportunities to dealers that maybe just aren't available through Google Advertise? We touched a little bit on this. I don't know if you want to expand a little bit more on that. Yeah, I, I think it all comes down to scale. So Amazon has what called is a, a unique ID, meaning your unique Amazon profile. They have one on 87% of all people coming into your showroom to buy a car. So you're virtually not missing anybody for the most part. And the way that happens is just obviously through Amazon's network. And Amazon's not just Amazon. They're Zappos, which you know, because I'm sure you're buying, you love your Jordans, so you may have bought some on Zappos before. Um, there's, you know, physical spots like Whole Foods where they gather data. Um, they own hundreds of companies and all of that data funnels into your unique profile. So any way that they can categorize you as an advertising target, they're going to do it. And they do it so well that right now, if you look at the landscape of digital marketing, just not even automotive, just in the country alone, Google is still number one, but they're starting to you know lose that spot. Facebook's been gaining ground on them for years. They're number two, but they're leveling off. Amazon is number three. That's crazy. They're bigger than YouTube. They're bigger than Twitter. They're bigger than every other network out there because this data is so strong. And they're the only ones that have consistently grown month over month in terms of companies spending money on their system advertising in the way that we're talking about. So it's, it's just really boils down to you're going to reach a lot of customers who you might not reach on Google. But what's even better is you're going to reach a lot of customers who you will reach on Google because you're going to send them to Google with your proactive advertising. It's all, uh, you know, think Amazon, think demand generation. And if you're a if you're a dealer who maybe your brand doesn't do a great job of either advertising their, themselves or their models, you're going to have to unfortunately take that, you know, into your own hands. And Amazon's a great way to do that. And it's not terribly expensive. I mean, it's not like we're talking pennies and tens of thousands of dollars here to get the job done. It just, it depends on your market. It depends on the brand and everything like that. But it's all well within reason in terms of getting a, a successful campaign off the ground. And I think in going on that, I think the other thing that I've seen as well is that this leads into my next question about misconceptions of like implementing Amazon and Google that I see so much. I'm going to turn the question to you after this is that so often people will assume 
And it's a lot of time that I have to, I also have to say that a lot, like, no, I know you feel this way, but that's not actual factual truth is that, oh, I have to have a fire stick or, well, I, you know, I can only advertise on Amazon Prime. That's not a hundred percent true. You and I both live in Chicagoland. Well, Comcast is very prevalent. I can have Xfinity Stream and have Amazon ads there. I can have, there's freebie. Am, like you said, Amazon has so, it's, their reach is so far. You can advertise on so many different areas. I've heard a lot of different myths out there, to say the least, on what Amazon advertising is versus what it really is. And so I don't know if you can touch on this a little bit of some of the misconceptions of what businesses go through and on implementing Amazon advertising uh, in regard to Google and, and the advertising strategies. Yeah. Well, I think the first one you hit on, the biggest misconception is that, um, well, this is only going to reach people who have an Amazon Fire Stick. Or if I'm doing streaming audio, this is only going to reach people on Amazon Music. It's like, no, we can reach people on Spotify. We can reach people on Pandora. We can reach people on Apple TV. Roku, anywhere. It doesn't matter where they are. And what I what I think the narrative has to change a little bit too is the conception of what type of marketing we're talking about. So a lot of times, kind of when we first started out the Amazon piece, it started out as a streaming TV component, right? And streaming TV always gets compared to cable or broadcast. And I think, you know, myth number two, which was for years perpetuated by cable and broadcast is, you got to show on the local news and you got to show during the Bears game, right? That's how you're going to, if you want to sell trucks, you got to show during the Bears game. It's like, well, maybe, maybe not. But wouldn't you rather show on whatever piece of content a truck buyer watches at any given moment? That's the, the change in mentality we have to think of. And so where you have to stop and, and kind of wonder, how am I reaching people? Am I trying to do my demand generation campaign, which we're talking, what we're talking about, in a more traditional style just for a digital medium? Like... You shouldn't be asking your streaming TV provider to make sure that they show during the local news. Because what if none of the people we're targeting on Amazon watch the local news? They may, they may not. But now you've just completely missed if that's what your goal is. And so that's another misconception too, is trying to treat this like a, like a traditional format. Cause it's, you know, it's a car commercial. It's a dealer commercial. It's one that we, you know, I grew up listening to uh, Bob Rorman on, on cable TV all over the place or, or Rosen, 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 or whatever the, whatever the slogan was, the, the jingle that was all, it was catchy. I still remember it, you know, 30 years later, but you're not going to reach people the same way. Um, in terms of the strategy, your strategy has to evolve. Amen. It is like, it, it's, it's so true, uh, all of it. And it, so often between that and a second one, I get asked all the time, well, how much do I have to spend? How much yeah. do I have to spend, Brooke? Well, it's going to depend on your market, first off. I mean, I, the same question would be, well, how much do you spend on, on digital marketing right now? How much do you spend on digital? Well, it depends. Well, uh, congratulations. You just got your own answer on that one. Good job for answering your own question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's the same thing. So taking this on, on personalization, and I, I wanted to really get into this with you. I... I might embarrass you for a hot second here. You and I were talking back at, D at DMSC and it was the first time that I had seen the back end of dealer process. And also at the Kane event, we were talking as well. And I had actually posed the same question to you because you were talking about the personalization and how you all are doing personalization. And I actually posed this very similar question to you. Like, okay, I was a bit of a skeptic and then I had to eat my words afterwards. So I can take a little bit of humble pie. 
And I go, so you're claiming personalization, but it's really personalization. And then you showed me it was. I was like, well, shit, there you go. I just had to eat my own world. So on that whole thing is like, when it comes to businesses claim personalization and their approach to customer service, but so many falls short because they're saying they can do it. Oh, we have the Amazon experience. No, you don't, but you think you do. Sure. In your view, what separate, separates personalizations from the pretenders? I love this question because you guys do such a good job with it. Yeah, I do too. Um, <laughs> so you got to think about a few different factors. So number one, Let's think about the website. And I've made this my mission this year. I don't know how long it's going to take me to complete this, but I want to make it very clear to everybody out there. Digital marketing and websites are not two different things. They're not. We talk about this as, you know, your website, you build it and then it sits over there. And then your Google campaigns, you build it and they sit over there and they don't interact with one another. It's, it's crap. It's not true. They have to both be in sync with one another. If you're going to, not just even perform a a good degree of personalization, but get any decent results. Because I've seen this, again, I've been doing this for a decade. I keep seeing year after year after year ads on Google that advertise a $3.89 a month lease offer on a Cherokee. And when I click that ad, it gives me nothing relevant to what it just told me. So now let's go back to Amazon. Amazon, awesome for personalization because let's say I am targeting Two neighbors who are watching the Bears game, maybe they're watching it on Thursday Night Football because you can only watch Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm catching them right at the moment when they're both in the market for a car. But I know one's in the market for a uh, an F-150 and one's in the market for a Ford Fusion Hybrid, right? Traditionally, I would just have to show them both the same exact commercial, you know, come to your local Ford dealer for whatever you might be interested in. Today with Amazon, I can say, Go to your Ford dealer website, Mr. Interested in an F-150, because we got great F-150 dealers. While at the same time, watching the same show, the neighbor could see a similar ad, but all about the fusion, right? So now you've got a completely personalized marketing experience. And what happens when they go to the website? If it's not connected, if it's not working together, they see the same damn thing. And they might just see, you know, a banner about a Ford Edge or something. I don't know, right? But it's going to be completely irrelevant. So by thinking about marketing and websites as literally the same thing, because they're all just components of the same goal, they're all trying to get more people to your, your showroom, sell you more cars. They're just, they're just um, leveraging different ways to do that. If you don't have a personalized website to go with personalized marketing, the whole message falls apart on at one click. One click and the whole thing falls apart. So yes. that's the big thing you got to think about. If we're going to go down this personalization pathway, is that people often talk about, I want a personalized ad. I want the right ad at the right place at the right time. It's like, okay, what are they going to see after that? You don't know unless you don't, unless everything's synced up. And they're probably not going to have a good experience if it's not. Now, the personalization on the website side of things, what I was showing you is kind of the next evolution of all of that. It's basically, I messed my hair up. Um, (laughs) It's basically taking the... This has become so, I know we talk about Amazon a lot, and it's become such a cliche to say, but taking the Amazon experience and applying it to your dealership website. And Jeff Bezos himself said this 25 years ago in 1998, he was being interviewed and, it's, and he said during that interview, if we have four and a half million shoppers, we shouldn't have one store. We should have four and a half million stores. And it makes total sense, right? Because 
You shop for different things than I shop for. And same with everybody else watching this. And we all have different experiences when we go to Amazon.com. Why wouldn't you take that same approach on your dealer website? Is there any reason not to do that? I to think of one. I, I can't. So now if we're talking about personalizing on the website, it's doing things like changing up, yes, changing up homepage banner to match what that customer might be searching for at any given time. That's like table stakes personalization. But then going deeper into the site, removing or adding or changing the order of filters on the website to be more in line with how that particular customer wants to shop or resorting or automatically applying certain features that they want on a car to give them a personalized pre-sorted search results page to the point of basically manipulating the homepage so I see something different than you based on what I like and what I like to shop for. So that's really the approach, approach that we're taking. And I do, when I talk about this, I like to make it very clear that number one, we do this all in a data privacy and uh, compliant way. CCPA, GLBA, all of that stuff has to be accounted for because we don't want anyone to get sued, especially not ourselves. Um, and number two, we have to make sure that we do this all without forcing a consumer to log into your website. Which mm -hmm. others talk about, they want you to go and make a, make a, an account on the dealership website. And I'll tell you firsthand, nobody does that. And you know why I know nobody does that? Is because most website providers don't offer that. If people were to do that on a dealership website, we all offer it. Because why wouldn't you? You can offer more personalization if you know a little bit more about what the customer wants to give you. But they don't want to give dealers that info. They always are very standoffish about that. So we have to personalize on the fly using the data that we can ingest through things like our own first party cookies or Amazon pixels or things like that, things that are privacy safe, um, but work really effectively. And you bring up so many good points. And I'm hoping if you are just joining, go back and rewind like five minutes and listen to what Gino just said right there. Because there's so much that he just dropped when it comes to personalization. And you think of a car dealership website, automotive industry website, and you're like, wait, wait. So not only is it really personalized and you have that and it's not just the personalization and yes that is a very big part of it but we we throw around this term of amazon experience and blah, 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 blah. and so many people throw that around and when i sat down with you and we literally went back and forth and i just go hold up run the stream one more time because i am sat in those meetings when they're like oh yeah it's personalized i was like okay you've been jaded uh, a little bit a little bit so i, I was just like sat back there i was like okay well, tell me how it is and i was like okay you, okay, it really is. But to your point is, it's not just the ad copy. It's not just the marketing. It's where, because you're you're so tuned that it's not going to work. And because like you said, you are jaded. It's like, okay, let me look up see what the ad copy is. Okay, what is it saying? How are they, how is the mismarketing and lies of propaganda that we're, it's a service campaign. We're going to drop them on a sales page. Like, what are you doing? But it's right. so much more than that. It's literally, okay, we can see the, Brooke is in the market for a uh, three series beam or whatever it may be, but we're going to drop her on an SUV page. Why are we doing that? Well, maybe, okay, instead of doing that, now we can see that she's in a market for an SUV or truck. Stop serving her sedans. Oh, we yeah. can see that now. She never, to your point, is she's never even clicking on drivetrain. So mm -hmm. why are we even showing her drivetrain in the filters menu? Like, why are we even doing that? Right. It's so much more than just a typical... All right, let's start with this. Okay, well, if she's not, if she just bought a car, why are we selling her offers all the time? Like, why don't we have service up there? I mean, the sky's the limit on how to personalize this, but we keep seeing Amazon experience. But what does Amazon do? It knows what I just bought seven, you know, the last, every time I click in there. So it's not yeah. only going to have that same thing up there, 
I can tell you that I just bought something that I didn't probably need, but it's because it said, hey, you might be interested in this because it knows my shop behaviors. So it's so much more than just what the ad and advertising is doing. It's knowing how, I, how I'm shopping. And in that personalization, billions of dollars are lost. We don't personalize it. So knowing that this is an option and well, Amazon, yes, Amazon, you log in. Amazon also has an app. So dealership websites are not, the, you don't need to be able to log in. Like there are other ways to do this. So I, I yeah. was literally, I was, for so many years, I was very, very excited to have you on the show to talk about all these different things. But when like I said, my, for me to be blown away by something takes quite a bit, I would say nowadays, just because there's a lot of over-promising, under-delivering. I, I really was when I looked at the back of your site and to be able to, the personalization was really, really cool. and. And it actually delivers on what it says it's going to do, which is is very rare these days, to say the least. So, I was, it, yeah. So, yeah. I would say, take it one step further is, from a dealership's perspective, are there specific aspects that maybe get overlooked when it comes to the customer's journey and the dad personalization? I, I wouldn't necessarily say overlooked from a dealership's perspective because it's frankly not necessarily their job, in my opinion, to understand the entire digital journey of a shopper. You know, that's for us. They know the customer needs to see certain offers. They know they need to see certain personalized messages, why buy statements, things like that. They know they need to have a good website experience. But ultimately, they should be too busy dealing with the ups that we're delivering them to look into that sort of information and become experts on it. That's what we so, so if you're spending too much time on your website, it might be because your website is not producing the way it should because you shouldn't have that much time to do that. Um, but really, understanding the customer journey, you can make it pretty simple. And if the tools are in place and communicating with one another, it should be handled automatically. So, you know, if I know that I've got a shopper based on Amazon data who's about a month out, I know what ad they saw, I know what they then went and searched in Google, I know what the ad said, then all of that data should feed into the website to say, okay, when Brooke gets to the site after she's done all of this, Take her right here, show her this. Don't show her the stuff you would show me because I'm looking for different things. Take her right there, show her that. And then here's another thing that gets lost. Take her actions on the website and funnel them back into the marketing platform. So now she doesn't see the same ad that got her there the first time. She needs to see something else more relevant to what she just did. That's going to keep being a stronger hook to draw her back in. And so that cycle needs to keep happening. But all of that should happen in the background without anybody noticing it if everything is set up and communicating correctly. Amen. I'll just go say amen to that. <laughs> so how has the digital transformation influenced this shift in the customer's expectation? Because the customer is very aware, aware oh, well, I just said Amazon or I said whatever, so I'm probably going to get started up an ad. So how have you seen that shift change in the customer expectations? You know, they, they, they kind of lean into it now because they've all been conditioned to do that, you know? Amazon wouldn't be a $3 trillion company if this type of personalization didn't work. It, they just wouldn't. Um, and I think as consumers, I think we talk about out of both sides of our mouths. We talk about, I want privacy. I don't want my data shared. I don't want this or that. But at the same time, we also say, I don't want ads that are relevant to me. Like, how pissed off do you get today when you see an ad that's irrelevant to you, right? If I see something that has nothing, like if I see an, an, an ad sent to me about AARP or something like that, I'm like, okay, well, somebody's not doing their job and they're wasting my time. But if I see an ad for something that I do like or I like to buy, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll consider that. I'm not upset about it, right? And so if you're now taking that kind of um, lazy approach to marketing and just say, hey, 
we've got this target area. Let's hit everybody. Yes, you're going to piss off more people than you're going to than you're going to attract, and that's the experience we try to avoid by being being very hyper focused on this personalized experience. And not only that, it's what saves you money because now you don't have to target 100 percent of market. You can target three percent of a market, which is generally about the amount of people in a market in any given month who are going to be buying a car anyways. So now think about how much less money you have to spend on advertising to do it even more effectively. You just you got to just you got to know who to talk to and you got to be able to use it correctly. That's the big thing. It, yes. And I go back to like, I remember this is like probably early, probably early 2000s and Facebook was coming around, whatever. And the ads were so not even remotely, even remotely personalized anybody. It'd be like, it, it, you know, someone for Mills or whatever, it would be like, hey, you're an octopus. You're going to get ad for octopuses. I'm, like, I'm not an octopus. But they, they had no idea who they're, to whom they were marketing at all. And so it's like, do you want the octopus ad? Or do you want the Brooke ads? Which ones do you want? And I'm very big on privacy. So I don't, you know, the ads that I get are it's very rare that I get a lot of ads just because I have everything locked down. But to your point, we're also accustomed to the fact that we're just going to get those ads and we get the shopper. Hey, there's something in your car. Do you want to, Brooke, you forgot to get the seven pairs of Jordans that are still in your car. Why do you not purchase them? Oh yeah, I need to go buy those now. Like, so we are mm-hmm. used to that. So transition a little bit to, you know, you are obviously the chief revenue officer over at DEP. <laughs> Talk about maybe a time that you've had to like pivot a little bit. You've got that consumer behavior and then, hey, oh, we need to pivot a little bit of how DEP, DEP approached that consumer behavior a little bit. And how did you guys learn from that experience? Yeah, so we may, we've had a lot of pivots. I could, I could, I mean, if we want to talk about a whole nother webinar about our pivots over the years. The <laughs> um, couple come to mind though that were kind of the bigger ones. Number one, and this isn't even so much personalization as it is just understanding consumer website behavior. This was years ago. We were the first, and a lot of, and a lot of providers still don't even offer this. And it's so simple. But we were the first to offer the ability on a search results page to scroll through every single photo on every single car. And that came from the fact that as consumers, if we're buying a physical product, we're not going to buy it unless we see a handful of photos of it. I mean, I know you have zoomed in and 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 analyze every detail of every Jordan that you you would buy online, right? Every shoe, yeah, never. Um, and I would do the same thing, um, especially when it comes to buying a car. If you're going to spend thirty, forty, fifty grand on something, you're going to look at it, a lot of photos of it before you even go and waste your time going to look at it. So what had been happening before we made this change on our platform and all the others was that in order for the customer to do that. They had to go into each and every single VDP. So you go to a search results page, do all the job to filter to it. I want, you know, I want um, Chevy Equinoxes with a sunroof, heat seats, Apple CarPlay, you know, third, whatever. You do all that work to, to filter that SRP. And then you want to look at the photos of each of them. So now I got to go to the first one, go into the VDP, wait for that to load, or go through the photos. Now leave that one, go back to the SRP, wait for that to load, go to the VDP, wait for that to load. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. A lot of the reason this was done is because in the early days of websites, everyone got hung up on the metric of VDP views. Yes, they right? did. <laughs> and they still hung up on the metric of VDP views. And I still have to tell people, like, your VDP views are a symptom of how you design your site, not a symptom of how consumers love VDPs. Yep. I mean, if you go out to a car shopper today and ask them how much they love VDPs, they'll look at you with a cricket thing. What the hell are you talking about? Yep. So when we put all of the photos on the SRP, we saw our VDP views go down. Our SRP views were staying high 
and our leads were going up and our leads, even to this day, we see a massive um, amount of leads come from the SRP instead of the VDP, sometimes as high as five or six to one. And so we didn't like make the VDP useless because it's still an important page, but we just catered to consumers and how they wanted to shop. And when you look at how a search results page should be structured, we structured it after the Facebook app. This was maybe back in 2015 or something like that. The Facebook app, Twitter, Instagram, all of those things, they don't make you go in and out of each post if you want to engage with it. You just look at post, swipe their photos and go to the next one. That's, that's how the way that the site should work. And so that was a big pivot for us once we realized it's like, hey, we're making people's lives way more difficult. And honestly, it was, a, it was a little bit of a challenge for us as a company because once our VDP views started going down, people started freaking out. And it's like, well, no, no, hold on, look at your leads first. Look at your leads before you, before you go crazy. So that was one big pivot. Another big pivot was, um, was COVID and digital retailing and all of that. Um, I mean, we've had a, a number of different applications that had existed way before COVID and, and digital retailing even came about. We had a trading tool. We had a soft credit pull application. We married those all together just before COVID. And then when that all happened, we then pivoted into a much more e-commerce centric uh, experience on our site, just because we knew people weren't going into the dealership anymore. And that was going to happen anyways, but it just accelerated that process, I think. Um, and then the other big pivot in, in terms of we can go to marketing is, is uh, inventory. So having this inventory crisis has really made us stop and step back and look and say, what are we doing that's effective in advertising inventory? And it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where looking at the average monthly searches for certain models, maybe not being as high as we thought on Google, how do we um, complement Google search so that it does go up and we do get more of that action activity on those models? And that's where Amazon comes in, Facebook comes in. Uh, and then putting data to all of that. And, and I think this is a, I do want to mention that while we talk about all of this data, accessing, accessing it through Amazon, accessing it through Google, getting it from your site, dealers, you still do have the best marketing data source available to you in sitting right in your DMS. And most dealers I talk to aren't doing anything with it. And it's just a matter of taking the data out of your DMS, just emails, uh, phone numbers, names, pretty much that's it anonymizing it and sending it to whatever platform you're advertising on to then create buckets. Like you talked about earlier, how if somebody just bought a car from you, why would you keep advertising sales to them? Well, you can turn that off for that consumer by uploading a bucket to Amazon, uploading the DMS file to Amazon and just creating a marketing bucket that says, hey, suppress ads for anybody who's bought for me within the last 12 months. It's that simple. Or create ads for people who I leased to um, 30 three months ago on a 36 month lease, let's try to get them back in, you know? And so even if you don't go crazy with the data that's available from third parties, your own data can make very powerful marketing channels. If you, it just, if you just use it. And it's, I was talking to a client earlier and we're just talking in general, how to take their, they're working on a, a certain model. And I go, you know, to take your third party, your, your first party data and your third party data. One, one, first part, that's one thing, but third party, I go, you can still, that's still your data. Like, and they're spending, those third party providers are spending a lot of money. Yeah. Just take that, anonymize it, take a radius and then upload that. Like, you can still do that. But it's once again, this one, sometimes just thinking outside the box and how you can use that is just, it's your data. Like, utilize that. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's amazing what you can do with it. So I want to take this a little bit different direction. So- Okay. We well, talked about AI a little bit in the beginning and everyone's talking to AI. So why not talk about that? 
So given with AI and the rise of AI, how are you, how is DEP balancing the technology portion of it, but also then still, you guys do a great job with customer service. So how are you balancing AI plus the human touch throughout the customer journey? Well, hold on. Let me go to chat GPT and figure out how I Okay, please let me know. It's honestly, it's only it's only made our customer service better, to be honest with you. Because when you leverage AI, in most scenarios, a lot of people get worried about AI. Um, I don't know why, because it's such an astounding tool that it frees you up to do so much more creative work or, or, or individual work that AI can't do. Yeah, right. So let's take the you know, Google search, for example. So when I was a paid search rep 10 years ago, I would have to go do all manual updating and bidding on my keywords, all manual analysis of my you know, locations where I'm spending, what should be done, manual adjustment of bids every day so that I don't overspend, underspend, and that every campaign has the right amount of money and things like that. But as AI has gotten more and more robust, specifically Google's AI is very good. That took a lot of the work off the reps' plates. Now our reps spend the time that they would spend doing everything I just said, talking to their dealers, saying, hey, what's going on on the showroom floor that I can't see or am not there for? What inventory are you expecting in? Where are you guys light? Where are you heavy? We need to focus on. That can all be created at the kind of creative strategy level and then implemented and executed using the AI. And so by not being afraid of AI and embracing AI, you actually become a more effective operator. And, I, and this goes for a lot of other things like CRMs out there. I know, uh, I believe it was Drive Centric, Steve. Um, it's the last wrestler, name, you know. It's wrestler. Wrestler, yes, thank you. Uh, I know that when we were at David Kane, he was showing that how they incorporated ChatGPT into their their CRM for for AI generated responses. It's like use that; it's going to be better than your your blanket autoresponder or not responding at all. And you're going to have a better conversation with the customer. And your BDC rep, salesperson, whoever will be doing it, can be focused on other things versus having to sit down and type a long email. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you just embrace AI and use it. Uh, don't let it make you lazy, but like do other things while it's working in the background. That's really where, where we've, I think, got a good culture here in, in embracing that sort of thing. Just makes you way more efficient. I know the lane for it and just makes you way more efficient with it. So with DEP, you all have, you've got your retail platform. You've got your, your connected retail, I believe is what it's called, correct? Right? Like the retail platform, yeah. All right, so you've got upcoming features. Can you give us a peek behind the curtain about any of these upcoming features? Depends. I'm thinking about how much I want to piss off my CTO. <laughs> sorry up front. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan. Um, so this isn't coming until NATO. <laughs> but I'm too excited not about it to not talk about it. So I started kind of thinking a while back with the consolidation that I started to see going on in the industry, you know, smaller groups buying up single points, larger group buying up smaller groups. There's a lot of consolidation going on. And when you look at websites and marketing, especially from a website side of things, nobody's really built a dealer group website platform because all of these sites still in the group still operate as individuals, right? But you might have a group that has eight Kia stores and, and 12 Honda stores and, 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 you know, 15 Toyota stores. All of those are competing brands, right? So now what we're building is we're taking our connected retail platform that does all this personalization you were talking about and connecting them within the group so that as you, Brooke, shop for a Toyota on one site and then go to the dealer's Honda site, you're browsing on the Toyota site 
will influence what you see on the Honda site. Because if you go to the Toyota site and look for RAV4s with certain features within a certain price range, certain color, whatever, we're going to probably just give you right out of the gate a CRV with all those same features and the same price range, everything like that on the Honda site within the group. And that'll, that experience will continue on as you keep browsing throughout the group. So that's what you, the customer, sees. On the back end, the dealer will see all of your activities. So within the Dealery Process website platform, we have something called iSpy. It'll tell you a full click path of what an individual does on a dealership website from day one all the way until they buy a car and then beyond. Every single day, every single session is cataloged. That data will also be appended with the data from the other websites too. And so now from a, um, from, a, from a BDC standpoint, especially a group that has a centralized BDC, this is gold because if you've shopped three sites within the group and look for a bunch of different things, all those sites, I know exactly what you've done. Now I'm going to have a great conversation with you because I know everything. So I'm not too creepy about how you use the information, but you can have a really great conversation with a consumer based on their entire interaction with the group. And then there are other aspects too, like group level reporting, group level page creation, where I can make a page and clone it across the entire group if I wanted to. All of those things, yeah, along with all the other personalization that we talked about. And so, um, I, like I said, I think it's really the true enterprise solution, true group level solution from a website side of things that hasn't existed before, that I think a lot of dealer groups are going to benefit from. So that is what we're launching. This is, again, sneak preview. I couldn't be saying this, but what the hell? Um, at NDA. Yeah. And, um, and, and there's a lot of other things too, but that's what I'm personally most excited about. And my brain is going crazy as you're like talking about this. I, you know, you think of other pools that are, say they can do this, but it has to be in a perfect vacuum that you have to be all in one suite. You have to have this CRM. You have to have this website. You have to have this. You have to have this third party provider. And it has to be all in that family. But this is just have our website provider. Like, that, I mean, that is so amazing. I'm just thinking how seamless this would be for a dealership group. Like you literally see everything on one spot now. And it's not a matter of, oh, you got to have the, it, 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 this just makes life so much easier. And it goes back to that personalization of once again, going, and I, I hate front the storm around, but like that literally having that Amazon experience in one spot, seeing all your customers, which is just, oh my yeah, well, you, you kind of hit on one thing real, real quick there that I think is also important that I didn't mention is we don't force you to use all of our tools. Now, as chief revenue officer, I would love to use all of our tools. I know all of our tools work really well, but I know it's not realistic for especially a dealer groom to have to commit themselves to everything all with one provider. And there are certain things certain tools do that our complementary tools don't. Like, for example, we have a very, very strong digital retailing tool, but it doesn't do everything that others do. And so if those other features need to happen or need to exist in order for the group to function, you should be able to use those tools. And what we've done with our platform is reached out to those other companies, those competitors of ours, really, and said, hey, how can we integrate better to be a better solution when our two, comp our two um, tools, maybe the website and a digital retailing tool, work together? So good example is um, Carnell, Carnell's digital retailing tool, Tim Cox. We, uh, we've integrated with their system in a way that their digital retailing tool acts as if it were a native application on our website, meaning um, filtering by price will filter on our, on our website um, selectors, will filter by the price listed in the car now tool as if it were a native connection, not just another plugin that gets stamped on the site and it doesn't integrate. So 
that's kind of our mentality is that like, we want to be the best at everything, but we know that we can't be everything to everyone. And so offering that flexibility, but still that deeper level of integration is important to us. And that's why we've, we've made an effort to reach out to these other third parties to just say, hey, we know dealers use you. We want dealers to use us for websites. How do we work together to make a better experience for them? Oh, I, you know, I absolutely love it. It's such a much new topic. And like you said, it's just like, just bring it on the table. Like it's, it's, this is, thank you for everyone. I'm just going to say on behalf of the entire automotive industry that, that, hey, it doesn't matter. Just come to the table. And obviously it, you're on the show. So I will just say, yeah, we would have DEP products as well. Yes. <laughs> no, just thank you. And, and we're at the point of the show though, that we, 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 we do have to jump into <laughs> The lightning round with you, with Gino here. Let's but do it. First, let's do this. So first and foremost, for those that are watching, we've got Gino's little personalized link right here. And the for those that are listening, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, if you just email Gino, G-I-N-O, at dealeryprocess.com, uh, I'd be more than happy to chat with anybody. There you go. All right. Short and quick and easy. And with the personalized link, it is going to link right up to his link app. So you can exchange contact information straight with him. Make it short and sweet. Very, very good. So name of the show is Facts Not Feelings. So whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life, how are you distinguishing facts from feelings? Uh, I'm a data guy. So if you can't back it up with, with hard data, it's not a fact in my opinion. I would, I would agree with that one. Anecdotes <laughs> don't count as facts. I like to, I, I'm going to add that in there. Oh, I like that one. I, I would agree with that as well. All right. So you got a one-way ticket. Uh, where's your favorite vacation spot? Where are you going? Oh, oh God. Now you are talking about feelings. Damn it. Um, <laughs> everyone's expecting me to say Italy. Um, but I love, I love Greece. I'd, I'd probably have to go back to Greece. Right. That, that's on the bucket list. I've yet to get there. That's up on the bucket list. All right, so let's take a let's go a different direction here. What podcast other than Facts Not Feelings, obviously, which po- what podcast you listen to these days? Um, anytime there's a good guest on Joe Rogan, I'll I'll listen to the full three hours plus. Nice. Uh, Andrew Huberman, I think, is very interesting and in kind of like the health um, sciences kind of realm. Um, I do like Tom Billu and Impact Theory. He has nice. some really interesting conversations. Um, so so anything in that vein. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. All right. We'll round it out with what is your favorite car? Favorite all-time car. There's two. I am so 50-50 split on this. I can't tell you. First one is a Ferrari F40. The other one is a uh, Shelby Cobra. That's... Dude, I love both of those. I know. I can't decide. It's it's one or the other. Fortunately, I don't have the money to make that decision. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Right. Not <laughs> yet. Well, Gino, thank you so much for being on the show. I so appreciate it. So appreciate you, everything that you're doing at Dealery Process. So, so, so appreciate everything. And with that, everyone, thank you so much for being with us today, for tuning in. I know you have a choice to listen and consume content wherever you choose. And today, please find a way to serve, to help, whether that is opening a car door or just a kind smile. Just find a way to serve today. And with that, everyone, we will see everybody next week. listening to Facts Not Feelings with Brooke Furness. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating. 
If you know a friend or a colleague will benefit from today's episode, share it with them. Until next week, find a way to serve someone. Find a way to help your neighbor. Remember, we are all in this together.